Welcome to the 48-Hour Art Check Best Of Podcast. In this episode, Josh and I reconnect with Stephen to follow up with his progress based on the conversation that we had in that first episode of this podcast, which was, Why Are You Not Writing? So, welcome back, Stephen. Hey, thanks. All right. Good to be here. Okay, so, uh, Josh, you want to start on this? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so... so uh, all right, so progress, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is that what we're jumping into? Yeah. So um, I have actually uh, exceeded a little bit, and I think I was estimating like two rough pencils, and I got three panels roughed. Um, once again, pretty simple panels, but uh, but I'm feeling good about getting a little further. So I've been having a pretty pretty strong few art checks. I feel like I'm kind of getting ahead of where I estimated, which... It's where I'd like to be. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. And those are looking really good. Um, Thank you. As far as me, I don't have anything visual to show, but what I have is uh, I've spent the weekend, I have ripped the audio from every Illo Talk episode that I've done. Um, So I have like several hundred MP3 files. Wow. And then I also... Um, have been kind of figuring out a number of kind of audio podcast things as well as some of that stuff. So it's been a lot of technical things, um, but I feel really good about the progress that I have. So I'm actually really uh, close to pulling the trigger on a number of a number of things. So it was kind of just a boring technical weekend. Hmm. So nice, Stephen. What have technical you done? Technical progress is still progress. It is. It is. It's not as. It's just not as fun. So, um, mm. what have you done in the last 48 hours? 48 hours. Uh, weirdly, uh, took a pause from this novel I started and started, yeah, just kind of stepped back and took a stab at, like, where the thing is going. Okay. You know. Uh, yeah, sketching out some major plot points and how I'm going to kind of intersperse themes. and So, yeah, this, this weekend was for me to, like, stop and just kind of reevaluate yeah. Great. That's awesome. How about uh, how about challenges, Josh? All right. Um, <clears throat> the the main challenge I've experienced is just kind of the typical one of just the kid, the <clears throat> like you know lots of um, plans and family stuff over the weekend. So just kind of trying to squeeze in that time that like in order to make progress on this book that will not write itself. So. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the biggest challenge, but, uh, you know, I feel like I overcame it. So yeah. Good. Um, yeah, as far as me, I, I had both kids, uh, this weekend for most of the weekend. Um, and so it was just, uh, just a lot of dad time, uh, which was, which was fun. Um, but also just, you know, I mean, I can't really do anything while that's happening. So it was just, you know. 10 to 12 hours of, of uh, kid time a Pure day. bliss. Yeah. yeah. Bliss is, sure. Yeah, interspersed. Yeah. Scarlet's getting into trying to mix her own slime. Good. Good, um, good. That's a, so, a logical yeah. next step. Right. <laughs> so how about you? What are some of your challenges? Uh, yeah, traveling with the family at a funeral. Just kind of a lot. A lot this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's probably the least productive weekend. 
Yeah, funerals can be hard. Yeah. That was... But, onward. Okay. Yeah. So, Josh, what are your plans for the next 48 hours? All right. Um, I am hoping to... Let's see how far I am. Uh, I'm hoping to get two panels penciled, but uh, with the way this week has been going, maybe I'll, maybe I'll finish the rough pencils. Cool. Uh, yeah. We'll see. So, yeah. That'd be great. Uh, I'll take the rest of your your 13 seconds. <laughs> take just it. say, uh, I, I have worked out all of the kinks, I think, on my online store. So if you go to coreycurr.com slash store, you'll see the most recent thing that I finished. And my plan is to kind of test that with a few people and make sure everything works and that orders go through and uh, things like that, and then continue kind of my progress on the uh, the podcast side of things as well. Nice. Yeah. So, Stephen, what are your what are your plans for the next forty eight hours? Words on the page, baby. Word count. Okay. Yeah, that. Do you track a number of words or an amount of time? Uh, it's it's still evolving. Okay. That's a good question. But yeah, I try to I try to hit. A good couple hundred good words. I'm trying to do that almost every day. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, just just I need some volume volume to work with and to start shaping things. Because until I have it on the page, then it's kind of you know, la la land. Yeah. Fake. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, so I'm curious, and I think I think everybody else is curious. This has been one of our more uh, popular episodes is having you on the first time. Uh, I got a lot of a lot of people talking about it afterwards. Um, I and I and I think not because of the the spectacle of of uh, you know you being put on display, uh, you know, but but because I think we all can relate to oh yeah kind of the experience of uh, wanting to produce something and being on the edge of pulling the trigger on it, but feeling that resistance. So. What's what's happened since we've met on your on your projects? You you had started, I think, a number of first chapters. You yeah, really yeah. hit chapter two. Right. So so where are you now? Yeah. Um, thank you, Justin Bieber. Where are you now? Is that no, a Justin Bieber song? Justin Bieber song? That's embarrassing so, that you know that. I know. Uh, I have an, an impeccable <laughs> taste. So um, uh, wow, a lot has happened, and I feel like it's all been. Yeah, just a bunch of different moments that have kind of led to me realizing again and again like that that was a good conversation a month or however long ago it was. Um, I had a conversation with a close friend who is kind of at a funny crossroads in life and wants to, for lack of a better word, kind of reset and just kind of like start fresh. You know, young 20-year-old, you know, just kind of like yeah, just realizing they want a, like a fresh start. And one of the things he said to me was that he wants to start playing piano again. And like, for whatever reason, just kind of going through life, working, but not creating at all, anything at all. And he just, and he said, I want to start writing music. I want to start getting back into piano like I played when I was, you know, 10. And um, it was a really, really good conversation. I actually bought him a copy of War of Art, so hopefully he appreciates that, but... Um, but yeah, like conversations like that and then just me, um, yeah, being bold and honest enough with myself to just sit down and start, uh, I guess something that really gave me a good kick in the pants was the fact that it's now National Novel Writing Month. Right. And so 
people are really getting you know excited about that and um, it's definitely something that helped me I'm, I'm not one who's ever really participated in one of those like month long challenges or anything but I think for the first time this has been um, really helpful so are you far following that challenge or are you just encouraged by lots of people riding near you encouraged number one but now I'm following not as well as I should but like um, definitely better than I ever have ever before mm-hmm. You know, if, if I had if I had been more thoughtful about it at the beginning of the month, I would have said, okay, I'm going to hit, you know, a thousand words a day or whatever it was right. and then stick to it. But so when when we when we talked to you last, there were several things, because one of the one of the things that I thought that was really good that Josh brought up was that you can't just say, well, I'm going to do this now and then snap your fingers and right. start doing it. You've got to kind of like you know, put a plan together and carve out some time and carve out some space and talk to loved ones around you that are kind of in your house. And so make a plan, make right. plans. So what, what have you done to get to the point where you, would you say that you're now consistently writing every day with the exception of maybe a funeral here or there or something? Yeah. Yeah. So what have you done to get to that point from, from randomly kind of like waiting for the muse to strike oh, and totally. you occasionally spit out a first chapter to, consistent production in your writing what's what's changed and how do you get to this point um yeah i I, I hate sorry i hate to point this out uh there's a low battery notice as a a heads up okay thanks uh sorry 10 percent. the clock is ticking okay carry on so um so yeah uh i don't know i don't know uh what specifically so I'm trying to re- reframe the question for myself. Um, just a series of conversations, like with my wife and with myself, and realizing, oh, I have, <laughs> I have random chunks of time where I can, you know, get work done. That. Um, so part of it was just recognizing that it's possible. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, recognizing like the options out there and realizing that I'm not as stuck as I maybe thought I was. Uh huh. Sorry, we'll fix That's that okay. camera situation. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <All right>. Um, <clears throat> so, so you actually pursued that. You actually had that had that conversation. Kind of looked at your time and and have found like a little chunk that you can carve out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like okay. evening time uh, after the kids go down, I could kind of like sit and um, gather thoughts and jump into it and otherwise if I know that it's going to be kind of a crazy night then I'll try to carve it out sometime like midday lunchtime that sort of thing it's a good call so it's um is that is that has that been difficult to kind of like get in the zone when you're like you know you're like putting kids to sleep one minute and then you're sitting down and trying to get in the game yeah and you guys both are more practiced in this than I am but um, I think it's like in the back of my mind, I'm looking forward to it. So it's, it's okay. It's like the little reward, you know, now I just need to stop eating dessert every night. <laughs> how, how are those related? You know, because it's like, everybody is like, ah, oh, get the kids down, sit down, you know, have a half gallon of ice cream. It's like <laughs> that, that's usually my life. So if I can avoid that. Okay. So, you know I mean. uh, so with that. Have you have you found that there's uh, any any practices or anything that you've implemented as far as kind of switching from you know work person to dad person husband person to writer person like is there a way that you're able to kind of like 
a habit that you've built? Because for me, it's like, you know, I, I sit down in a specific chair in a right. specific place and I put my headphones on and I turn an audio book on and then I, okay. I know that it's time to go. Yeah. Um, have you found that there's kind of a series of kind of a, or a ritual or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what is the, what is that for you? Yeah, funny enough, my wife makes fun of it. Makes fun of me because every night, almost every night, I uh, make my creation, which is <laughs> a random recipe I made up with. I made up one night a while back, which is like bananas, oats, chocolate chips, nuts, peanut butter, and I just like mix it in this bowl, and then I sit down and I will eat it. After so you know, put the kids down, take a shower make this weird creation concoction thing, sit down, pull open the laptop on the blue and white striped couch, put in the headphones, turn on some tunes, and start typing. So, cool. yeah, nice. getting in the zone. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I definitely would think it would be a different workflow than, than if you're, like, doing art because, like, like whenever I'm writing, it's it's like I can't listen to like a book while I'm oh, writing. Funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which can be really irritating. Yeah. Because uh, I'll be like really into an audiobook and they'll be like, ah, oh, I gotta put this on pause because you know the words start conflicting. But music's a little different. So like, do you do soundtracks that kind of relate to like the type of thing you're writing? I've done that before, and I haven't spent enough time trying to like trigger some sort of feelings or or words thereby. Um, uh, mostly just stuff that that can just be nice background that I'm not thinking about that I've heard a thousand times but that I like um, yeah you know get that earworm thing where it's a song you could listen to for an hour and never realize that it's the same song yeah that's what that sounds good yeah Josh I'm curious do you have uh, kind of any rituals that kind of help you transition modality from you know like daily grinds into comic book time um, I mean, like w- one thing I've done that helps me weirdly enough is I literally wear like a shirt and tie to work. <laughs> right. Um, so when I get home from work, it's like, there's a ritual there and, yeah. and it's, it's partially as like a, a bit of a middle finger to like the kind of corporate types at my work because they're all corporate casual. Cause each and night, I'm like, each night you light your tie like, on fire. <laughs> Sacrifice yeah, it. sorry. And I'm just like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm not gonna go corporate casual because I'm not cool like corporate guy. I'm an artist, so I'm gonna go full out corporate. Wow. <laughs> like, I I'm gonna do that. it. So, so anyhow, it's a weird thing, but it also psychologically like gears me for getting home from work. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, um, I have like really organized chaos, so. My art table is like chaotic and it looks like a complete, like an atom bomb just exploded on my table. But if something's moved, it like throws me for a loop. So I have like complete, like organized chaos. It's, it's funny too. Like if I ever did it like a tutorial on like Photoshop, it would be the same way. My dock is like just organized (laughs) chaos and I'm still having to kind of reset it up from the from the CC upgrade because now it's like all organized and like everything's hidden and I'm like no I don't want it hidden I want it like laid out all over the place where I have to like move it um, so that I think if there's any rituals like that would be a huge one but you know I think I needed more ritual when I was first getting into it like it was really it's a hard transition for me to kind of get in a workflow. Um, and it's kind of cool that you're you, like 
to me, what one of the most exciting things that you said um, uh, was that it like the idea of like kind of desiring it, like it like it's almost like this really like that the reward for the end of the day kind of thing, and that to me means you've probably been at it for a couple weeks at least, and so that that that's really exciting because those first few weeks are I think the hardest um, when it's not necessarily something you're desiring to do. And then you're yeah. trying to kind of figure out that ritual. Like that's, that's really, I think hard. What about you, Corey? Do you have like a, a weird ritual before you get, get to working? <laughs> uh, it, I, I'm the worst at this. I need, I need to get better at it, but I, I mean, I literally, it will take me forever to like make it down the stairs because I just, there's just so many distractions along the way. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll usually, you know, uh, try to be really present. I've been, I've been focusing on, cause I get so excited about some of the things that I'm working on, especially like right now where it's, it's something that isn't, isn't like automatic. It's, it's not something where I've like grooved those pathways into my brain and I can just sit down and ink. It's like problem solving right now. I'm trying to figure out like, I love and hate this, but I, I try to figure out like the most optimized way to do something. And so until I optimize a process that I'm going to do often, it, it takes up like 80% of my waking thoughts. Like I'll just be in meetings and I'll just think, oh, if I, if I plug this into this or if I moved <laughs> this step of the process in front of this other one, uh, you know, maybe that would go faster or I could eliminate it if I did it this way. And, and so I've been really distracted the past three or four days because that's what I'm doing is I'm trying to figure out the quickest way to be able to produce both a podcast and a live video series without having it cut too much more into the time. Cause it is really time consuming. I mean, I, I sat down 45 minutes before we went live just to set up three people being on camera at the same time, you know, and, and that's 45 minutes I could have been doing something. So a lot of it is, is yeah. I, I usually focus on, like when I'm with my family, being with my family, which is actually, and this sounds bad, it's not normally like this, but I have to like decide to be present and decide like, wait, no, this is not optimization time. This is mm-hmm. this is hangout time. And so, yeah, um, that's good. Though. So anyway, so I do that, and then and then once once the routine with my daughter is solid because she was super colicky as a kid, and and with with everything that was going on uh, with her and my wife and I, like. I live and die by her bedtime routine being precisely at 7.30. Um, and so at 7.30 she goes down, uh, or she starts her thing at 7.40, at 7.40 she's done. I read to her for a little while. By 8, I'm, I'm hanging out with my wife. I usually hang out for you know 30 to 45 minutes and we do whatever. And then either she comes downstairs with me and we turn something on while I work, or um, you know we're sick of each other, and I go downstairs without her, or whatever. You know, but but eventually I come downstairs, and when I when I come downstairs, it's a different world, um, subterranean. Yeah, and and it literally is it literally is for me like passing a threshold, uh, just like going to the office is um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so I have like a dedicated space, and so I think for me like being in this space is my brain knows like oh now it's now it's art time. And so yeah. um, that's that's kind of my ritual is is a lot of like, you know, attempting to not ignore the human beings that I love and then 
um, eventually like crossing that threshold and kind of like letting the dam burst and, and, and getting in, getting into it down here. Yeah. And it's, it, that's a fascinating juggle too, because like when you're first trying to get into, at least for me, when it, when I was first trying to get into like doing a personal project, um, you know, like that was the stuff that like, I really sincerely like didn't want to sacrifice. And it was really hard to kind of make that time. Right. And then there was this weird point and, you know, so I don't, to me, that didn't sound bad because there is this weird point where you do have to like consciously, it kind of reverts Jeez. the other way where you have to con- consciously be like, okay, brain stop like wanting to do art right now. Yeah. You know, like, um, and, and I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense because if I look back like to like two years from now, I'm not looking at like my social media posts about art you know right. i'm looking at like pictures yeah. of my kid you know yeah. yes so it's like you know but but i definitely get that like there's this desire that like is it you know kind of kind of like what was being described um and and, about and, your, for, and yeah. for me it ebbs and flows uh because yeah. i think uh two weeks ago you know i was the opposite where I had to really convince myself to get up off the couch. We were watching some stupid TV show that I don't care about, but I was just enjoying just sharing space and time with my wife and, and, you know, just being together. Um, but you know, doing that for two hours, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm now like cutting into the time that I should have been sleeping. And so I have to like kind of fight it the other way. And, and so I'm really irregular. I don't, even though I've been doing this now consistently since 2012, I still don't feel like I've, like the battle is over. I, I feel like the battle continues to rage, um, you know, between productivity and resistance and the, in the balance of life. I don't think you ever get to the point where it's like, you know, nah. now you're totally in balance. It's like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm tilting a bit this way. I got to make an adjustment. Now I'm tilting a bit this way. I've got to make an adjustment, you know, oh, everything fell off. So I've got to rebuild it and then, you know, balance it again. And so, um, yeah, I think I was just describing, my current state because literally last week it was totally different it was the opposite of that yeah no that makes sense um and i think like that that kind of thing is why like before like especially if you're in like a relationship or whatever i know you guys have probably already done this but for for anybody who's like watching who's like wanting to get into a personal project it's good to make like a a list of hierarchy yeah um for your life um I, i would recommend this even if you're not working on like a personal project, but like a hierarchy of, of like who takes like the highest, um, you know, kind of percentage of priority in your life. Yeah. And so like once you've kind of set those priorities, it's really easy to kind of see where art kind of falls in that list. And usually, you know, that's going to fall under family. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's like that kind of becomes a nice little check against myself. If I ever Mm -hmm. have moments where I'm like putting it, putting it above, you know, cause it's like, yeah. right. I have to kind of move it back down. But, um, but if it goes way below other priorities, like, you know, entertainment right. or something, which for me is like way lower on the list. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm putting like entertainment, like above art. Like that's ridiculous. Cause that is the ultimate entertainment is like making stuff. So, right. um, but anyhow, uh, so, so anyhow, so st- anyhow, Steven, I want to know more. <laughs> like, I want to know more about like what yeah. your project is. Yeah, that, that was a big not, that was a big question. Not I had. like specifics, but oh, sure. you know, because I don't want you to blow. You know, tell us how it ends. Yeah. And uh, there's a twist. Um, We'd like to know the twist. No, here yeah. here's here's what I want to know because this is what I'm super curious about. 
you had some number, more than one, of story ideas, quite a few. How did you oh. settle on how did you settle on the one that you were going to do? Because a form of resistance is kind just, of like yeah, juggling a billion ideas all yeah. at the same time and never actually moving the needle on on one particular one. <laughs> so what was your what was your process like and how did you choose that and what is it like now? Um, I th- literally the process was just I'm just going to choose this. And, that, that's but about it. was it was um, it instinct? Was it you flipped yeah. through your book or yeah, instinctual? There's uh, one that just felt right. And luckily, like we ex- like we talked about, you know, a month or so ago, I've had so many things like on you know twelve different back burners just slowly simmering, and they're all still there. Like that's the beauty of you know just saving your work and just keeping it for a future day. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, all those ideas are still there, baked into whatever I've begun. So, yeah, I just, I, I kind of just said to myself, well, this is a cool challenge that I want to take on. And just said, this is what I'll focus on. Um, and then did I, I don't you... Think it was, I don't think it was like any uh, big decision or, or like a, um, something I really thought about too much. It was just, yeah. Just let's do it. And any any regrets? I mean, are any of the other stories? Do they feel like they're they're calling out and trying to no. take your attention? Or no, not right now. And that's um, now I need to find this quote. You guys need to vamp while I find this quote. Okay, it is the sweetest quote actually. Josh and I will vamp. vamp. I I'm not familiar with that term. Uh, vamping is like a musical theater. So like you know, the the. Orchestra has played like that song, and like so and so is supposed to come out on stage, but they don't. They miss it. So it. they just keep playing those same chords over and over until they run on stage and like. I I just want to I just want to point out one of the differences between Stephen and I, is uh, is that you thought that I was going to understand yes. a industry term in musical theater just now. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. Hey, but, but you're married to a theater, to a thespian. So. I, I, she's she's a singer that that uh, acts because it allows her to sing. But she's not a she's not an actress. <laughs> it's not true. No, I mean she acts, but she she herself does not claim to be an actress. She claims to be right. a singer no who vocalist. enjoys performing, and so she has to learn lines and, and do them as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, so. Um, I was actually, Josh, I'm curious on your thoughts on this. Um, since we're talking about storytelling and writing and things, I was I made a Shakespeare joke today in class. <laughs> and this is good vamping, by the way. And there was there were twenty people that looked at me as if I had a third arm growing out of my head, and I was like, Have you guys <laughs> have you guys never read or watched <laughs> Hamlet? And they were like, oh. I've heard of Hamlet, and I'm like what what is happening right now that you guys don't get a fairly obvious Shakespeare joke? Yeah, you know, and and I'm curious, am I like just a literary weirdo or like? <laughs> no, I don't think that most people that know Shakespeare. Like, I, that should be like a general ed, like high right. school level knowledge, but. I don't know. I mean, I have met a lot of people who, who didn't get Shakespeare quotes, you know? It's weird. You'd, uh, like, do, like, a little bit of the tomorrow soliloquy or whatever, and yeah. 
Like people would just look at me like, "What? What's that?" Why, why did you start rhyming and yeah. rhythming all of a sudden? But then I kind of wonder, you know, <laughs> am I just the moron who's like, "You, you don't know the bard? How dare <laughs> you, sir?" You know. Well, because I, I grew, I grew up. Uh, all four of my grandparents and my parents are all teachers, and most of my extended family is very, very into um, like kind of old literature, and so. Uh, I mean, I don't, to me, we would like get together as a family and we're like, Hey, let's, let's watch, let's watch much ado about nothing. You know? And we also watch like, you know, stupid stuff like Fletch and stuff like that. But like on, on par with Fletch was also Mel Gibson's Hamlet and, uh, you know, Brana's, uh, much ado about nothing and, you know, and, and all these other. And so like, when I was like, you know, it's kind of like Hamlet's mousetrap and everybody was like. Huh? I was like, you know, the plays the thing to catch the <laughs> conscience of the king. They're like, what? And I'm like, no, this is not. This is not a generational thing. This is just you guys being uninformed. I'm sorry. This is as an educator, I can I can feel okay about you guys not knowing this and me being upset about that. That's fine. What awesome. you should do the next <laughs> class is do a class within your class Ooh. to trap and teach your class I like this. about how they should read. Shakespeare. Yes, I, I will. Think. I will have a traveling troupe uh, reenact them not understanding a joke about something that they should understand and watch their reaction to see if they get it. Exactly. I think. I think that would be that would <laughs> okay. be brilliant. Um, how's, how's that yeah. for vamping? That was pretty good. That so. is funny. Yeah. No, sorry. Go sorry. No, go no, ahead, Josh. No, I want to. I want to hear the quote. No, this this yeah. is not the quote. But um, Google's not. Yeah, Google's not helping much. But. This is uh, great it's radio, referring me, yeah, it's referring me to a Paulo Coelho quote, the guy who wrote The Alchemist, and oh yeah, um, yeah, a bunch of other stuff. Anyway, th- this is a similar quote, but he said, "When you want something, all the universe, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it." There's another quote that's even better. That's like this expanded version of the quote, but it basically says, "Like as soon as you begin a creative act, as soon as you actually set." forth on a path then all manner of elements you know conspire to help you and things you hadn't considered before uh pop up and you know insights and help comes along as you like start and so i think for me like in the process of just choosing something just like choosing something to work on helped so many other things come out of the woodwork and and help so yeah that makes sense. Anyway, that the, was a long, that was a long-winded way of saying. So, so you're you're basically saying you're like Frodo, and you've set out yes. on your journey, and then you you're discovering that Samwise is there, and yeah, and there are these, in there too, you know. And strange axe. No, but there's there's a part of there's, there's a part of uh, there's a part of War of Art where Stephen Pressfield talks about this because. Most of what people focus on in the War of Art is they focus on the, the resistance. Right. Right. But the, the thing that I find super interesting is when he says, I'm a religious person, so I'm about to talk about angels. But if you feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the idea of angels, then think about, you know, beings outside of time or, you know, uh, the universe or God or whatever, whatever, you know, whatever force you want. But, um, but ancient history and most cultures have this concept of, the muses or the genius or the idea that you are um, possessed with 
some sort of inspiration that Christians might call the Holy Ghost, um, you know, that, uh, that Buddhists might call, you know, tapping into kind of the collective ancestry, you know, or whatever it is, there's this idea that there are ideas outside of mortality that are trying to get into mortality because being existing in time is how an idea is realized. And, uh, and he gives the example of, and I can't remember if it was Mozart or whoever, but he was saying Mozart might not have been the first one to hear that symphony in his head, but he was the first one to pay attention and suffer and do the work to, to bring it into time. And it's kind of an interesting thing because you initially you have the resistance, the stuff that is trying to, trying to stop you from working. Uh, it'll distract you. It'll rage against you. It'll, it'll, you know, affect all the people around you to try to, uh, you know, conspire against you to, to stop it. Right. And, but immediately upon beating that, um, you're rewarded by the genius, the muse, the, the, the ideas outside of time. And there, there seems to be this kind of like runner's high second wind situation with creativity that once you push past initial resistance, um, kind of pure inspiration begins to flow, um, you know, and, and, and it's still a battle. But it's interesting that you've described that because I've, I've found that as well to have things kind of crop up around me that begin to kind of bolster me up and, and ideas start coming from places that that I didn't even think about and making connections and whatnot because... Once resistance is beating beaten in that day, mm-hmm. you start to get that kind of reward with it. Yeah, and and what's what's interesting about the the kind of like idea of like the angel or like I guess like the Socratic third eye kind of idea of yeah. the you know like um, like there's theorems and mathematicians aren't inventing them; they're discovering them. They're kind right. of floating around in in this realm of truth and beauty and you're able to kind of touch it a little bit and grab whatever it is and put it on paper. Um, I, I totally believe in that. I think most people participating in the creative act, like know there's some weird thing. Um, I, yeah. I think it also explains why, you know, so many people like, you know, who aren't creative, you know, see an ad for a movie and they're like, that was my movie. Like that was my idea, <laughs> you know? Right. And in reality, it probably was. Yeah. I mean, it probably was an idea they had and an idea like five other people had and a screenwriter beat them to it. Yeah. Um, and Or the screenwriter was more active in selling it, you know? Yeah. So the, the screenwriter was the one who was willing to make the sacrifices to bring it into, right. into existence. Yeah. So it's so it's an interesting concept, but it's it's definitely kind of true. Um, you will see a lot of help, but I think the the interesting analogy to a war is you're gaining ground constantly every time mm-hmm. you fight resistance. Every time you give in to resistance, you're kind of losing ground, and um, so it's akin to gaining ground in a battle, where it's like if you gain, you know, a, a strong area to fight from, you know, you you have a little bit more relaxation. Um, after the fact, because you're, you're in a stronger position, um, you know, but if you go into like a really highly contested area and you fight pretty hard, you might be fighting hard for a while. And, and and some of the best, (laughs) yeah. And I mean, some of the best battles might take a really long time. And I I would actually kind of think that generally I would think if you're experiencing a lot of resistance, um, that might be a good sign that you're on, onto something good. Um, yeah. You know, it could also be 
really valid resistance. Like it could be like, dude, you're literally, you know, making this terrible movie and it's the room or something. But then again, <laughs> if you made the room, like, you know, I, I think that movie's done fairly well, <laughs> weirdly enough <laughs> in, in the interim. So maybe that was the right call to kind of make that wonderfully terrible movie. Yeah. Well, it's kind of yeah. like, I remember, I remember reading, um, there's one of, one of my professors and my masters was uh, one of the artists that drew the Clone Wars saga um, hmm. or the Clone Saga during during the really what what is universally recognized as a terrible time for Spider-Man and the storytelling. Like it became really convoluted and like you had all these clones running around and nobody knew who was who and it was really whatever. Um, there was this kid who was um, dying of cancer. And literally the thing that kept him alive was consuming as much of this really confusing, convoluted, what most people think is a poorly told story as he possibly could. And it, it was his mom saying that, um, you know, looking back, she really thinks that this story like saved his life because he was, he was like, I've got to, I've got to fight this or I'm not going to know what's going to happen, you know, next week. Hmm. And, uh, and now he's fine and he beat wow. it and the cancer's in remission and he's an adult with a family and stuff. Um, and so there's, there's also that idea that even like, even stories that people think are not critically acclaimed or that most people hate or that are universally like villainized, they, even those type of things can still reach somebody and make a significant impact. Um, and, you know, and so it's, it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, the crowd's not rarely right you know and it's the individual that kind of matters more yeah you know it's good so that was a a conversation killer sorry (laughs) no 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 actually um so i i've gotten like two messages throughout the years that i've been kind of working on this comic and it doesn't have like a broad readership at this point you know and i'm not quite expecting it to till i'm finished but i've gotten two messages um, from people who literally were suicidal and didn't do it because of the comic. Yeah. Wow. And which is weird because my comic's not all like call the suicide hotline number or anything. It's it's more just explaining what that's like to be in that yeah. uh, state. And yet I've had two people tell me it got them through. And that's really weird. And it's been just random. And usually that is those times where I feel like really down about what i'm doing i'm like nobody's reading this nobody gives a crap i have Mm -hmm. you know like i've been putting it up and i have only so many subscribers or whatever it is yeah and um a lot of that negative self-talk which i think most writers and artists experience and it's usually in the depth of that where somebody will reach out and say something like that that just Mm -hmm. was like well that's crazy like that's a crazy awesome sign that i'm on something you know Yeah. yeah um so it it, it I, I mean to me I definitely think there's some truth to it because like let's say I put this thing out it doesn't do anything it's already done something which is kind of cool yeah um, absolutely so that's that's been really weird I've never really experienced that from you know from like writing something so that's Powerful. been really weird <laughs> so yeah that's 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 really cool I like I like that concept um, I, I'm curious Stephen and I'm sure Josh has some questions too. Um, Based on based on your your career trajectory and your experience thus far, I'm assuming have 
you've mainly written quite a few very short things, right? Mm-hmm. As a journalist, uh, you, you know, you're, 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 you're writing things for magazines, for uh, websites, and for papers. Um, how has this been different to write something that's more long form? Um, has it been harder? Has it been easier? Do you, do you take it at a different tact? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, that I think that can seem scary to people, but every large work is made up of smaller pieces, and that's the way I view it. Um, there's a, a reporter and an author I really like, David K. Johnston, and he's written a bunch of awesome histories and biographical, biographical type stuff, but he uh, he says, you don't write a book, you build a book. And uh, I think so many projects are like that. You know, um, it, you don't just sit down and, and vomit out 100,000 words, but you take it in little chunks. Um, some people I've been reading about, and I do this occasionally too, will just skip ahead to an important thing and draw that, so to speak, or write it, and then come back and fill in the other details as it kind of builds the story. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I, I actually feel like I'm at a point in this book where I want to do that, just so that I have um, a, a goal for where I'm going to end up and then and kind of fill it in from there. Yeah. But So that was going to be my next story, or my next question was, um, I, I'm curious in this, on this transition from occasionally writing to writing consistently, um, did you just start on chapter two? Did you just start where you left off? Did you revisit what you've already written? Did you kind of did you did you take a few days and kind of map the story out? Um, I started with with chapter one, page one, paragraph one, and because I've had this idea rolling around and I needed to just start, and now that it's there, I'm realizing all the things that I need to change. And even I'm into whatever chapter three, four or something. And, um, which kind of caused me to, the other night to realize like, okay, I need to actually sketch out where this is going. But yeah, I, I'm, uh, before we started tonight, Corey and I were talking about another author who is uh, really famous, but in both of our views takes too long to kind of like jump in and get started in a story. So we're, we're talking about Brandon Sanderson, Josh. <laughs> Um, hmm. and I, uh, my brother-in-law had recommended him the other night and I pulled up a preview online and started just reading the first couple of paragraphs and like, it didn't do anything for me. Just, uh, I have to be hooked from the first line or else I won't. I really, I really want to convince you to you just know. muscle through the first 50 pages of one of his books. So that's hard, that's hard work, I, you know. No, it is, but it is it is one of the best payoffs because that guy is a storyteller like I, I have never seen before on what what isn't written and what's happening underneath the surface in between the words. <laughs> like the world building, the world building that he puts together is this right. massive tapestry that's incredible. But he does start very, very small. So if you guys have ever read like the Mistborn series or the Stormlight series, um, I got into it really easily. And I, I have a less critical ear than, than Stephen does. Um, and I've enjoyed some books where you've said, oh, I couldn't get through it because right. the writing was so poor. That's not talking <laughs> about that's not talking about Brandon Sanderson. But um, 
with this one, I remember my wife, I was like, hey, you know, because anytime I'm like, hey, there's this thing that I love and I want other people that I know to, to love it. And so I, I, I showed it to Josh, I showed it to my wife, I showed it to other people. My wife couldn't make it through it. She was like, I, I am so bored. And then I realized, yeah, actually the first <laughs> couple chapters are really just yeah. intense Exposition. amount of detail yeah, yeah. about this guy in a cart. And he's just yeah. in a cart for a very long time. And he's talking. He and kind of nothing happens for a while. And he throws you in the middle of this world where he's not bothered to explain any of the terminology. So right. like right. half of the point of it like you just like what is piecing it together what is even happening but the thing i do like about it is once you kind of are patient and sit through that there's this moment where it all kind of clicks and all the terminology he's been using Mm -hmm. starts kind of making sense um it's it's almost like i don't know uh if you ever had to do like a cold read of like clockwork orange where where like without realizing there was this giant glossary at the end um and you're trying to kind of get into it and you're trying <laughs> to understand it. And then you have this moment where you're like, oh, oh, that's what they're meaning, you know? Right. And then that's it awesome. all kind of clicks. It's a very similar thing. Uh, but he's but he's less of a – he's not a very succinct writer, I'll say that. Like he's not very short. But Which, then again, he can be when it counts. Right. So it's Funny. – I don't know. It's interesting. But, yeah, I'll, I'll side with Corey on it. But, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just tell you this, Stephen. You don't have to listen to me if you don't want to, but – I am not exaggerating. One of the best written fight scenes in a battle I have ever read, ever. And it's just, and it happens in book three. Mm -hmm. And each of his books are like a trilogy. And so basically in like, in book nine of this series that that he's writing, I saw in my mind more vividly than I've ever experienced exactly what was going on. And I could feel myself responding, speeding up and slowing down the cadence based on like the ebb and flow of the battle. And it it was just so good. And I don't even have, like I was telling Josh, I was like, dude, you're coming up on this part and I didn't want to spoil anything for you. He knew exactly what I was talking about. (laughs) It's just so good. Yeah, and I mean, like, just from a writing perspective, it's really cool because it's that point where all the threads start tying themselves, and you're like, oh, okay, good. Because it's like he he starts, like, tying up all the loose ends, and you're like, okay, this is actually going somewhere. Yeah, there's, like, 12 payoffs in one chapter where it's like, this has been this massive arc. I'll have to show you uh, a book. One of my favorites is from an author, a friend of mine who actually just passed away, uh, last year, the year before. Anyway, um, it's this awesome, it's a story of this like orphaned Native American who grows up to be this like amazing warrior back in the, you know, colonial times. And it's like this epic, epic story. Um, but yeah, some of his battle scenes are just like, feel like you're getting tomahawks thrown at your face Yeah. and you're just reading it. It's the best. Um, I love when books do that. Yeah, it's funny. I, I actually I should read this because it's just like so good. Um, Do you need us to vamp for another twenty no, minutes? No, I, I found book? it already. No, um, I was reading this book. Um, this book on editing actually. Oh, that's fine. Keep going. The iPad of Wonder. Um, I was reading this book on editing to prep for this class that I teach on editing writing, and. Um, the author, she mentioned this book, and she 
quoted the first paragraph and it's like it was wonderful and so i went and requested it from the library and they bought it and shipped it to me and then my wife stole it from me and read it in like a week and i have yet to finish it i'm like a quarter of the way through but anyway um it's i'm just gonna read it because it's so good is this is this allowed yeah go ahead okay um this is Eli Gottlieb. I don't know if he pronounces it Eli or Ellie, but... And the book is The Boy Who Went Away. I first noticed something strange happening to my mother six months earlier in the motionless days of January. During a cold snap that turned everything the hue of smoke, her clothes suddenly began to grow bright, vivid, as if powered by a secret store of summer brilliance. Although it was frigid outside, her skirts shrank upward above the knees, while the heels of her shoes grew downward into spikes, curved like the teeth of animals that made a racketing military clatter on the floors of our house. I was sick with the flu for two weeks straight, and I noticed that with my father gone to work for the day, she would sometimes go upstairs and spend an hour carefully penciling freshness into her face. And then to my amazement, she'd leave on a long run to the store. She seemed energized at strange times, of the, strange times of the day, sparked into excited conversation by a random headline, a snatch of music on the Magnavox, or the blue of two jays she'd spotted tussling over seeds in the snow of our backyard. Bouncing as she walked, she would sometimes, for no obvious reason, come up to me and interrupt what I was doing to ask, front and center, sweetness, how are you? It's like, what? And you know, <laughs> you realize what's going on in the family, quickly. But he, you know, he's just set up so much in one paragraph. Um, it's just crazy. It's been a while since I read the first paragraph of something and went, oh, okay, I need to, I need to get this. Yeah. It's kind of cool. That's rad. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, <clears throat> so now that we're reading quotes, I just thought <laughs> to tie it back in, Quote I'm going to read a quote. Okay. Um, and this, this ties into the idea of what you did with your book that you're kind of just picking an idea and going with it um so this is from chip kid who's one of my favorite creatives in the world he wrote this book called the cheese monkeys about a teacher getting fired for teaching it's great if you teach college you should read it um but it's it's called the cheese monkeys and uh it's uh never fall in love with an idea they're horrors if the one you're with isn't doing the job there's always always another <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and that's, that's um it's really good. so anyhow yeah um I, th- I think that's actually that book's really good and it talks a lot about kind of the act of creativity and some of the kind of st- the, the sort of hard truths about like graphic design and commercial art that yeah uh that we can't teach um yeah but uh, but yeah, I always recommend that book, and that just came to mind when you were talking about <laughs> when you were talking about kind of picking one because I think that's true. It's like if you get too precious about a specific idea, yeah, um, chances are it might actually be the worst one, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas I think um, just picking an idea and chasing it because of the fact that inevitably in writing, it's like you're you're not gonna like unless you're lucky and you're like Jack Kerouac on yeah. the one book he wrote on a giant sheet of one piece of paper. I don't think that happens for most people. Yeah. Um, and I think even him replicating that didn't work quite as well because, mm-hmm. you know, some of his later books just weren't that strong. They just, there was some weird magic about it all that just first came one. together. Mm-hmm. 
but uh but you know so I, I i tend to think like most of the time like you're going to be rewriting and redrafting and finding all these holes and stuff in it anyway which actually was kind of a question i had with writing long form because uh, like writing for a graphic novel you know i write five pages that's like 20 something pages mm. in comics you know yeah um but like with with a with a novel like or a book like when you when you're working on that how do you avoid the possibility of just editing as you go and, and then ending up in an editing loop oh like, yeah and that happens to people all the time and that's that's that can turn into a form of resistance um it's like oh i'm just gonna edit this chapter until i'm 75 and never wow. move on so and, how do you so how do you balance between the desire to, to tweak a little bit? Yeah, that's super that's super um, idiosyncratic. Like I I feel like I've built a good sense by now of what works and what doesn't, and that comes from um, you know a good couple of years in journalism and many 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 years of reading great stuff. Um, yeah, we actually had a we had actually had a really cool Skype interview in my class today with a, a friend of mine, a mentor who writes for the New York Times, and they asked that exact question to her. They said, you know, how do you get to the point where you uh, you you know that it's working and you don't have to like worry that it's not ready, etc. And and she basically said, you know, that's a time factor. You just get to a point where you have this sense of okay, you know, it looks good or it doesn't, and what yeah. week. So that yeah, it's that's that's hard to answer just because it's so personal. But definitely, people should watch out for that phenomenon of just you know, well, I have something that I can always edit. It's like, well, good, but you can edit until you're dead. So yeah, and, there, and there's an interesting thing with with books specifically that I don't think happens with other forms of storytelling as much. And I experienced this again recently, but. Um, have you guys ever read um, From the Cheap Seats, which is Neil Gaiman's book of... It's a big compilation of his, mm -hmm. like, forewords and speeches and letters to the editor. Yeah, I haven't. You've told so, me about it. No, so good. It is fascinatingly good because he just loves reading and loves mm -hmm. writing and loves storytelling so much that it just, like, bleeds from every page. It's, like, one of the most inspiring books to read when you're when you're in a rut because it's just like I want to go yeah. do something you know and it's not like it's different than the war of art which is like if I don't go do something then I'm wasting my life uh -huh. this is like you know I I want to go do something because I'm just I'm just full right now um, but he describes this experience of as a kid he um, you know both parents worked or so, some situation where he got dropped off at the library every day um, in the summers so that his mom could go to work and he would just consume books and he just loved reading and the librarians loved him because he loved reading and all this stuff and he said I have revisited some of those books mm. and some of them are not like I experienced they are awful <laughs> awful terrible books and others I realized that I had invented out of whole cloth entire scenes and lines that really touched me that I thought were part of the book, but were just the experience of reading. And yeah. it was super interesting because the last episode with Scott, I was describing this experience that I had when I took off on my motorcycle 
and I slept in the I slept in the beaches and the parks and on the side of the road for several weeks and just lived on the street. Um, and I brought with me a, a compilation of short stories by Joseph Conrad, which is a very like seafaring type thing. And it, if you're ever going to go and 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 intentionally be homeless for a little while and just kind of wander around, you need to bring uh, either like Moby Dick or or Joseph Conrad with you because it feels very much like you're you're a you're a lone man in the sea, you know, and it just it just makes the experience much more richer. Um, but it was really interesting because I described this line that has stuck in my in my head for a decade and a half. That line is not in the book. I started listening to the book again. It's not in the book. I made it up. It makes sense in the story. But I actually wrote a line in my memory that I have replayed over and over and over again as a point of as a point of motivation that's become part of my personality. Wow! That wasn't in the experience that I had. I in, I invented it. What's the line? Yeah. The the line is they they spend what happens is this guy's first first journey out as an officer at sea and he gets on this 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 boat called the the Judea. And, and on the side, on the plaque under the masthead, it says, uh, Judea, London, do or die. And that is, that is the theme of the book. And he continues to refer to that, you know, as they're getting battered and beaten. And at one point in time, they are pumping the bilge because there's a slow leak that's happening. And they're tacking upwind. So they're, they're going in a zigzag pattern towards the wind. And they're having to, to bilge pump two of every four hours out of out of a 24-hour period every four hours they're they're pumping for two hours and so they're just exhausted and they're just they and they he just describes in excruciating detail about like how hard it is to just work until you're mindless right then they go in and they're at and then they're, they're at this thing and a series of things happen that kind of waylay this ship into this harbor and they can't leave for like a month at a time and in my mind, I invented the line, I longed for the bilge pump, which is, which is, a, I've used as a reminder, to, a reminder to, um, that like, I prefer work to boredom. I prefer work to, I prefer yeah. productivity to, to mindless entertainment. I enjoy video games and TVs and, and, and movies and stuff, but if I go too long, without working and producing something I long for the bilge pump and that's been something it's not in the book <laughs> it's not in there I made it up and so yeah, uh, right. a question I have about writing is is that intentional where you intentionally leave space for the reader to insert their own imagination because I mean somebody like Joseph Conrad is not known for his brevity. I mean, the reason that that line isn't in the book is because it took him 600 words to say that. Mm -hmm. And he said it much better, mm -hmm. but it wasn't succinct. But in, in his, in his wandering kind of around the subject, it allowed me as a reader to kind of insert, insert yep. my experience into that and teach myself yeah. something from, from this experience. Is that something that just happens in writing? Or is that something where you're like intentionally like right here, I'm going to be vague because I'd like the reader to paint a picture. Yeah. I mean, ideally in anything we produce, we're letting the viewer and the reader engage with in a way, engage with it in a way that helps them bring something to the table. And if we're hitting people over the head with emotions or different things, we don't give them that opportunity. 
and I, I'm sure Josh, you've seen that in your comic, right? You, yeah. you you keep it under maybe understated isn't the right word, but you let the facts speak for themselves, and people can kind of bring their own emotions to it. I don't know yeah. if that applies to you. No, and I've, I've had to catch myself because like there have been times where there are times where like for for impact, I do want to be a little exposition mm-hmm. oriented because. Um, almost to make things like matter of fact in the way that they're yeah. being spoken about that, that shouldn't be spoken about matter of factly. Um, but it, it's funny because I'm always struck by the, the thing I'm struck by in writing and in, in, in comics is, is there's just these little poignant things that I experience as a reader. Um, like one of my favorite books and I hate that it's one of my favorite books cause it's, it's really cocky the way that he titled it, but uh, I don't know if you've read A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius by Dave Eggers. No. Um, it's annoyingly true to the title, <laughs> which is annoying. <laughs> um, he's, not, he's, he's, not that being, good. he's not being sarcastic? That's awesome. Um, kind of, but I mean, it is kind of that. It, it's a really <laughs> weird... Dave Eggers is... Um, I mean, he, he edits McSweeney's. He's, he's also a graphic designer, um, but he's a phenomenal um, writer. He wrote, like, the screenplay for uh, Where the Wild Things Are oh, okay. and, and a couple other movie screenplays and stuff. But he's written a bunch of novels. He's a really good novelist. Um, but it was his first book. And by all means, it shouldn't be good. And sure. it was excellent. And he was, like, on the real world. So he, he should not be good at writing. Um, wow. Or think, but it's yeah. so good. And there's this point in the story where he's talking about an apartment that him and his brother lived in his little brother who uh, like his parents had passed away. And so he's having to like get an apartment to kind of take, take care of his like little brothers, like six or seven years old and how they found this spot in the apartment where there's this perfect stretch of um, wood floor where you can get the, the perfect slipping if you're wearing socks. Oh yeah. And then he has a diagram, but it's with text and it's done in the most like postmodern, like irritating way because it's brilliant. It's, it's so good. And I remember that just hitting me because it like, it gives you this visual that is all with like space and text and um, it just stuck with me and annoyed me to the point where I'm like, I want to do something like that with, with writing. It's too good. Yeah. Um, similarly, like I feel that way about Chris Ware when I read Jimmy Corrigan, The Smartest Kid on Earth. There's like a five panel sequence. And it would be for a lot of people, it wouldn't be their favorite part of that book. But if you're a cartoonist or, or a novelist and you haven't read Chris Ware, you're insane. You should read Chris Ware. Um but it's a four panel sequence where he just shows the main character who's kind of this pathetic guy. Um, and, and he's sitting at a, at a restaurant, like alone by himself, like having a cup of coffee and it's four panels of him just wiping his nose and just going sniff. (laughs) Like it's, it's like the most non action Mm -hmm. I've ever like I've seen in a comic. And he does that over and over again throughout the comic, like these four panel, five panel sequences where it's just a finger wiping a nose and going sniff, you know, (laughs) like, but it gives you all you need to know about this character. Um, There's just weird things like that, that happen in so many stories that kind of like pull that string that makes me feel like I should be writing. 
um, because I almost feel anger oh, when, yeah, I, yeah. when I experience that. It, because I, it's almost like envy in a weird way. It's like I want to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I will be doing that, but like I think, I think that's definitely a sign of, of being um, somebody who should probably be making stuff is if you, if you see something beautiful and you're hit with this just like pull of like, I need to be like participating in this thing, yeah. you know? Um, cause like, it, yeah. And it's like, there's endless things like that that just stick with me from specific books. But it is interesting to think that some of the things that stick with me from books are, are possibly not there. And that's, yeah. that's, fa- that, that gets into the reliability of memory too, which is a whole other right interesting thing. We should do that as a topic for sure. Cause that's a, okay. a real kind of concern of mine writing. Right. Cause you're, right, you're writing an autobio. Yeah, and, and, and everyone's what I found with everyone's memory, and this is this is really like, difficult, yeah. is you you polarize your memories. So if you think about people in the past that you have not spoken to for a while, they are either exceptionally good or exceptionally bad. Sure. And no one is except well, not no one. <laughs> Most people that you meet are very nuanced, and this actually reminded me of uh, Stan Lee, who passed away today. Um, And there was, you have two reactions, you know, you have one reaction where people are saying, oh, you know, he's the, he's the greatest and he was amazing and he did this stuff and it was incredible and changed my life. And then you have this other reaction of, you know, the guy was like a terrible business person and screwed over his co-creators and, you know, he's a horrible, uh, whatever. And, um, and the fact of the matter is that both of those things are true and um, to some extent, but in the yeah. middle, in the middle is the reality of the situation where you have, like the rest of us, a nuanced individual who did some great things, made some mistakes, maybe made some bad choices intentionally, and uh, and yet it's interesting to see people's memory of someone polarized so drastically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've been. I mean, it, it's funny because among my cartoonist friends who are all aware of, like, Stanley's like, shady past as well. Sure. Um, most of them have been really positive about it. But right. to the point where I'm uh, – there is that part of me that's like, do we want to be that positive about it? Because, I mean, <laughs> you know, Ditko died this year and you could kind of mention that, that maybe it should have been in a different order. You know, but it's like, but then it's like, you have to also remember as a cartoonist, and this is like, I was actually saddened today to hear that because, um, like it or not, like Stan Lee is why Marvel comics like lasted Mm -hmm. through the whole, like, uh, you know, the, it's like the pre satanic panic of like the thirties with comics, you know, in the forties, it's like, he's, He's the reason Marvel Comics actually lasted. The, the comics code like kind of saved comics for a while and actually gave it... He's also the reason they started skirting around the comics code. There's a lot of things that he kind of brought to comics, um, like it or not, but, like kept yeah. comics alive when they would have potentially died right. um, as an art form. So it's like he's important as a figure. Um, and yeah. I agree, he's nuanced because there's great things he did you know his name was on like every comic i read as a kid and the bullpen and stuff but then you get older and you read some of that shady stuff you're right it's a duality but i think i think any of us uh 
risen to a certain level of, of fame and oh, yeah. scrutiny, I know I know that I've done and said things that I wish I could take back and I'm not proud of. Yeah. And uh, and luckily no one knows who I am. And so no one yeah. knows those things. Yeah, but we're not I mean, like under the microscope, you know. Yeah, and if, and once again, we're not like in pos- giant positions of power like like yeah. he was at the time that, you know, some of the negative things happened too. Um, right. Like a perfect example, like one of my favorite authors passed away a few years ago, like J.D. Salinger, and it's like, you know, he was probably completely insane mm-hmm. right. by the time he died. Um, and, and there's accounts like, there, you know, I got really interested in him, like a lot of young writers and stuff, like in, in early college where I, I read all the books about him that people had tried to track him down and tried to write biographies, and he's, he's kind of a recluse. Mm-hmm. And and there's a couple books about him by ex-girlfriends, and they're very disturbing. <laughs> um, because so, so it's one of those things of, like, trying to rectify this author who, like, you know, identified, like, this whole genre of, of fiction that didn't really even exist before him that I love. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, like, you know, this negative aspect it's fascinating i don't know but it's interesting maybe we all will get there maybe maybe the book that you know steven's working on yeah will put him in the hot seat will launch you into the stratosphere of fame well and it's so funny because like ira Ira glass has a really good way of describing that i don't know if you've seen his little like one minute youtube thing um but he has a thing that you know he talks about how your tastes are up here the gap yeah, and, yes. and, and you're, yeah, there's this huge gap between what you can do, but your tastes are up here, and it's like, through all of this, and I this applies to everybody, but like, my tastes are like, way up here, and as I start actually doing things, I get so much more empathy for everybody out there who is working and publishing, and realizing, wow, this is actually really difficult to do, or, yeah. wow, that's a huge time commitment, or, wow, I can't even believe they put that sentence together the way they did or holy cow they, they drew that you know all of this the creative process helps me be a little bit less critical of all the work that i see because you know you realize like okay this isn't just walking into it because you're uh, as teddy roosevelt said you've, you've you've given up your seat in the arena as a spectator yes and you're and now you're now you're yeah. now you're fighting you're bloody bloody muddy you know yeah. uh, you're no longer what what was the those those cold something souls that never risk. I can't remember the line, mm-hmm. but such a great quote. Yeah. But it is it is fascinating because dare greatly. Yeah. Yeah. The, then those that dare greatly because um, to fail is way more difficult to do than to criticize. And I and I see this. There are several movements going on right now where you have people that are. Uh, building their reputation off of being hypercritical of something, mm-hmm. and when it comes time to deliver, <laughs> they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like it's like, oh well, that's kind of interesting that, you know, you are finding that. You know, and it and it, that's kind of a common thing, I think. Um, it, well, and it, the Dunning Kruger effect, right? Where the less you know about something, the the higher you rate your ability to do that thing. Mm-hmm. And then as soon yeah. as you start doing that thing, you begin to realize all of the nuances and all of the difficulties and all of the challenges that you couldn't see from the stands. But now that you're on the field, yeah. uh, you're like, oh, I see 
why this is so hard now. It's, it's yeah. a fascinating thing. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, like, I can say most cartoonists I know, especially the ones who got into cartooning being like, like, I've spoken to a few recently that, that got into it, like, as a screenwriter, I had a script, and I just didn't think it was going to get made, so I thought comics would be an easy way to do that. So then I started doing comics. <laughs> and then it always is followed up with, like, and they were, like, really hard. Like, it, it took forever. It took way longer than I thought. That's like, awesome. Um, yeah. Or, like, illustrators who, you know, would be really critical of cartoonists and be like, well, I'm a really good illustrator. I'll just do a comic, you know, because right. all the comics suck anyway. So I'll just do it because I can illustrate. And then they, they face those challenges for the first time of, like, how do you get a word balloon in a panel that doesn't look <laughs> crunched and like how do you make like time flow fluidly and how do you you know break out of like the grid with paneling but have it be legible and have people be able to follow along and yeah how do you like how do you make it so the reader knows which panel to look at next yeah yeah and um and you know like or or like you know those moments where you start realizing oh that's why that person does that thing i hate because right. <laughs> it works, <laughs> like yeah. you know. So um, I, I've definitely found that too. I think when when I was a young cartoonist, I used to especially look at cartoonists now that I really revere and think, well, they're not the real cartoonists. And I look at all the photo real guys, you know, yeah, um, who are excellent, but not realizing that those photo real guys are all looking at, you know, people like George Harriman and like drooling. You yeah. know, and, and he's drawing like a little stick figure mouse. But then you look at that stick figure mouse, like the Ignatz drawings, and it's like, mm. oh, that's really hard to do. Like, yeah. that's actually not, that's actually harder to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, this, it's just a really weird thing when you really start doing things, how you start kind of appreciating it. I guess it would be akin to like watching a boxing match and thinking, Oh, all, that, all you do is just kind of run around and like just hit kinda, each other. Just kind of keep your fists up, right? That's it. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, you get winded in your first round and you're like, oh, oh crap. You have to like do <laughs> cardio and like all this other weird stuff. I once made the mistake of stepping into the boxing ring having eaten an entire Taco Bell meal. Oh my gosh. <laughs> college, did you, man. Did you? College. I like how your college experimentation is uh, is Taco Bell boxing. Violent. Taco so uh, so we've we've been going for a while. Um, I'd like uh, I'd like to to wrap this up. Um, is anybody yeah. in the chat? No, it's pretty yeah. dead right now. So uh, so here's 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 my question. You are on, uh, and you can kind of you can kind of uh, kind of sing us out here on this one. But you're on kind of a bit of a, a high. Um, after coming out of a low, you've had, um, you know, probably a series of small successes and you're kind of rolling with that momentum. What is your plan, uh, to overcome that first slump when, when you get hit with, um, when the effect of this decision that you've made wears off and it becomes mundane, Mm -hmm. what is your, what is your plan to continue to be productive on this book and finish? I have yet to establish a plan. I need to. I need to. I need to say, X word count by X date. That's what I need to say. Okay. And I couldn't yeah. do that off the top of my head, but 
Um, that's that's what it comes down to for me. Because if I, I'm not the type of person who who, who would crank out fifty thousand words, and let it be garbage. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't um, take the time to do that. And and so, I know that if I hit a certain word count by a certain time frame, it will be worth my time. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, how do you quantify? You know. And does I that, want it to be done. It's like, well, does that help you on a on a micro scale? Like, if you mm-hmm. know that you have a large goal, do you just automatically know that you need to work on that today and not put it off until tomorrow? Right. Unless okay. I want to pretend to have a a rocky moment where I write the screenplay over two nights or whatever he did, you know, which yeah. is not going to happen. Yeah. Right. Okay. Josh, any any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you got over the first hurdle, and I'm hoping you get over all the future hurdles. <laughs> and I think, regardless, you got to have that finish as the goal. Like, yeah. so I would not let yourself off the hook until you finished at least the first draft. And if the first draft gets finished and it's not worth, you know, revisiting, then you know, it's it's a much, I don't know. To me, that would be a much. Um, much better failure than yes. the success of having a really solid chapter. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. So, um, but, but I, but I suspect you're going to make something great and I'm excited. It's, it's cool to, it's cool to see kind of like night and day. The last time I talked to you, it's, <laughs> it's cool to see you doing it. Um, because I think you're going to get a lot of fulfillment out of it. Like there'll be frustration and all of that, oh, but yeah. yeah, you know, I definitely think, um, if you're kind of built for for making, you have to make to be yeah. Oh, yeah. content. Yeah. You know, Josh, will you take a minute and describe that? Because um, your insight—this is going to be weird with Stephen sitting here—but your insight on Stephen is fascinating to me because sure. uh, it's kind of like my parents seeing my baby every couple months, where I see my baby every day, and so like every once in a while, I'm like, "Wow, he's way bigger than he was." But they see him and it's like, holy crap, he's gigantic. He's like doubled in size, right? And so because you interact with him so infrequently compared to me seeing him multiple times a week, sometimes even daily, um, you just described something that I find fascinating because I haven't noticed a change because for me it's been very gradual. But you had some insight uh, into kind of the first time that you met him and now you're meeting him again for the second time. Would you describe that change that you're talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty easy thing to describe because I, I think I mentioned this too, like, um, like, like part of why, like one of the first things I mentioned to, to you, Stephen, like when I first met you was like, what are you working on and when are you getting it done? I just, I couldn't help but like jump on you about it because I got this weird vibe and it's, it's only like this literally only happens if I'm hanging out with like an illustrator who hasn't drawn in a while and they like, or an artist who feels like they need to be painting. Like, I don't know, like just whenever I meet a creative who like has that bug and they aren't chasing it, there's this thing. It's like a look, I can't explain it, but it's like it, 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 um, it emanated. Like you were kind of like at that point of either like, I don't know, quitting or going. And I, I don't know. There was just like, there was a vibe of that, and I know that's weird to say, but it so was just 
pretty weird. And it, it became pretty clear after like three sentences of talking to you. And I was like, okay, I'm totally the type who like I've been where you, where you were. And so I just wanted to be that jerk who's just like, dude, do it, you know? I appreciate <laughs> and, uh, it. I did. It's fascinating, though, because it's cool to see because now I don't get that sense at all. Like, I'm seeing somebody who's actually got that spark and you're doing it. And so, like, that to me is exciting. And I, I hope it continues because, like, I, I really nice. do think if you keep showing up, you're going to get, like, results, you know? Yeah. Um, so Not that's sure. – but, but, but it is very interesting because you, you actually seem happier, weirdly enough. Hmm. So, yeah. That's yeah. – that's, that's astute. Well, good. Okay, so uh, if you want to check out Stephen's work, you're going to have to wait for a while. Love but if it. you want to check out Josh and I, you don't have to wait at all. Because my work can be found at CoreyKerr.com. Um, I've got a new poster up that you can buy at CoreyKerr.com slash store. And uh, special thanks to No Saboteurs, Josh's band, uh, for the intro music there. And you can see their touring schedule and all this type of stuff about them at Facebook.com slash No Saboteurs. And if you'd like an insight into, uh, and, I, and I don't say this jokingly, but something that might save your life, uh, quarterlystories.com, because it is it is an excellent, excellent comic. So go check those out. And is there anywhere that people can uh, can interact with you or follow you online? You've got a Instagram or something. I have right? an Instagram. Um, but yeah, we'll, let's touch base in a, in a bit, and I can throw a link out, okay. maybe. So, uh, so uh, stay tuned for, for ways that you can see uh, Stephen's work. Um, and we appreciate everybody in the, uh, in the comments. I'd like to know, um, those people that have started, um, how you've gotten through that slump that happens after the initial excitement. So in the, in the comments, if you could let us know, how is it that you get past that? Because I think that would be, and, and not just for Stephen, but I think, I think Stephen represents... Uh, most people, uh, you know, Josh and I a while ago and many people that are watching this now and listening to this. Um, and so that, that kind of advice of how you do that, because even, even I'm still interested in that because it seems like I need different techniques to fight different battles all the time. So when you have that initial burst of productivity and you can, you can go for a couple weeks or a couple months, there, there are, you always seem to run out of gas at some point. What do you guys do at that point? I'd love to know. Uh, that in the comments and uh, we will see you guys in a couple days